This is the Western Sydney Health Check with Harrison and Sia. Welcome to a lockdown edition of Western Sydney Health Check. First and foremost, we're in a similar situation to you all are working from home, which is why this week's episode sounds a little different from normal. Given the lockdown, we're also going to be talking about mental health and some topics people might find confronting, including suicide and lived experiences. If you need support, you can always talk to someone at any time by calling Lifeline on 13 11 14. Coming up on the episode, I speak to mental health peer worker Mitch Farrell about his own life and the experiences that led to the incredible work his team is doing. And that sort of just led to a breaking point for me. I had a panic attack and after seeking a bit of help, my mum put me in touch with a couple of people, school counsellors, and I was diagnosed with an anxiety and depression disorder. More of that insightful discussion in just a moment. Later in the show, I'll also be speaking to psychiatrist Professor Vlasios Brokulius about the mental health impact of lockdown. Understandably, many of us are feeling stressed, anxious and concerned right now. So make sure you stick around for his insight into how we can all look out for our mental well-being while we get through this challenging time. I also want to take a moment to warn that our next interview contains references to suicide that may be distressing for some listeners. Joining me now on the podcast via video link is peer worker Mitch Farrell. Mitch uses his own experience of mental illness as part of the Towards Zero Suicides project team at Western Sydney Local Health District, who provides support for suicide prevention initiatives and walk alongside consumers experiencing suicidal crisis. Mitch, thanks very much for joining us on the show today. Not a problem. Glad to be here and be able to do this. It's great to be able to keep this going even in a not face-to-face way anymore. So I was wondering if you could just start by explaining a little bit more about your role within the district and, and what your team does. I'm a lived experience peer worker as a part of the new Towards Zero Suicides team, which is the Premier's initiative to help reduce suicides by 2023 by about 20%. And I'll be working in two initiatives. One's called the Safe Haven and the second is a suicide prevention outreach team or SPOT. And they're both meant to be alternatives to presenting to the ED uh, for people with suicide ideation or going through a suicidal crisis. And basically it's uh, use my lived experience of that suicide crisis, that suicide ideation, suicide attempt to really try and empathise with these people coming from a non-clinical point of view. I'd love to chat more about those programs in a moment, but you mentioned your own experience and it'd be great if we could get a little bit of a, more of an idea about that. As much as you're comfortable sharing, could you share with us yeah, your own experience of, of mental illness and of suicide? I mean, the short of it is that I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression when I was 15. I was going through a rough time. We had the school certificate back then, which was year 10. I think they've gotten rid of it now. But I really started to fall behind in my education and I started to feel this pressure build up to academically achieve and that sort of just led to a breaking point for me. I had a panic attack. And after seeking a bit of help, my mum put me in touch with a couple of people, the school counsellors, and I was diagnosed with anxiety and depression disorder. And then fast forwarding through life, I had other experiences which impacted my mental health, experience of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. And all of this started to impact my education and my social life. It led to that suicide ideation and it escalated into a suicide attempt. And because of all of this, I didn't actually finish my HSC. And 
I got into university without finishing my HSE. We went through alternative pathways and I was really struggling, but it wasn't until I really found myself after getting some closure with other life experiences with the post-traumatic stress disorder that I really started to come into my own and get on top of the anxiety and get on top of the depression. And I eventually graduated and here I am now as a part of my recovery journey, recovery story. And, you know, I'm in a position now where I can actually say, look, I've had some rough experiences, but I want to help people and let's put these to good use. That's incredible. Thank you so much for, for sharing that. And um, I, for one, can say that I'm very glad that you're still here with us and able to use that experience to help others, which is a, a pretty incredible thing to do. Obviously, with, with what you've said, you know, that experience helps you to, to empathize for other people. How does that then come into play in the work that you do now? I think the way that I described it, empathy um, and understanding, being non-judgmental, these are pillars of what I'd call therapy work. Being through my recovery, I'm still going through my recovery. I guess I want to use my experience to show people that recovery is possible. My recovery is different to what your recovery will look like, but we'll go through the same motions, the same uh, same emotions, the same steps. Each journey is going to be different, but we're going to experience the same things, if that makes any sense. It's a bit of a odd concept. And just try and use it to establish hope. There is light on the other side of the tunnel that you can get through this, that you can get to the other side and if it means anything i'm going to be there to support you and be there to support others and hopefully allow you to grow into a position where you feel comfortable to use story and say yeah i went through a rough time maybe i can help someone else that's incredible what you're saying about hope that's such an important message for people to hear when they're going through something like that and i think it's one thing for people to hear that from a nurse or for a doctor and a psychologist, they're all extremely important roles to play, of course, in our health system. But to hear that from someone who's actually been through it themselves must just speak differently to people, I think. Is that your experience of it? Yeah, definitely. We're finding that there is being this shift in medicine and health and how we're approaching things. And I think people are starting to recognize the the benefit of peer work, let's put it. Having that non-clinical role, having that someone that has been through what they've been and not just read through it through textbooks. And the way that I sort of explain is to get this job, it's a bit of an odd prerequisite having to go through a suicidal crisis, having to try and make an attempt on my own life. That's an odd prerequisite. They don't have a university degree for that. So it's definitely a position that I believe will help reach people that are going through a rough time and help develop that trust within the medical system. You were saying earlier that's a very odd prerequisite to get into the work that you do now. Um, I can imagine in the past, uh, and probably still for a lot of people today, talking about your own experience of mental illness and of um, suicide would be um, taboo or seen as uh, a weakness or a hindrance in the workplace. Um, you know, a lot of people probably still have that conception. But for you, it's actually one of the most important parts of your job. Do you feel like your own experience now is is a strength for you in, in your work? No, it, it's very easy to say what I've been through if I'm not careful and to almost say that I've been victimised by something. But I don't necessarily view it that way. I look at it, what I've been through as a positive and a strength. It's provided an opportunity for growth. And, yeah, that's not to say it didn't suck when I was going through it. You know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, and I look at it now, and I've grown so much as a person. And also, it's given me the opportunity to send that handout to other people and say, it's like, look, I sort of get what you're feeling. 
it's crap. I'm sorry you're going through that. Is there any way that I can make this easier for you? How can I support you? So it's definitely something that I'm quite proud of, my ability to do. We live in Western Sydney, so a very multicultural area, and we know for a fact mental illness can be a very taboo topic for different cultures. But for me personally, it's something that I've always owned and I've been proud of because it makes up who I am as a person, and I'm proud of who I am as a person. You know, my last workplace that I had definitely faced a bit of stigma and discrimination there, but I also used it as an as a positive experience to try and bring change and help educate and change the system so people feel more comfortable speaking about it. You know, that's why I'm so happy to have joined the team that I'm in at the moment because it is such a unique workforce in the sense that we all check in with each other. We all look after our mental health. We are all supportive of each other. And that's made a big difference for me as well. And it's really helped consolidate the fact that it's okay to talk about mental health. And if anything, encouraged to talk about mental health because we all know where we all stand there and who needs the extra help and how can we support that person. Well, I'm sorry to hear what you experienced at your previous workplace, but I'm glad that that's another thing that you can look back on now as a as a positive and a strength and that you're in a, a more supportive team now. On that topic of checking in with each other and obviously continuing to take care of your mental health, how do you look after yourself while also looking after other people. I imagine that sometimes some of the consumers that you'd be speaking to would be experiencing things that are quite familiar to you and might be triggering in a way. I guess the first part of it is to acknowledge the trigger and acknowledge the feelings. And I recognize and accept that I have my own experience and the experiences of the consumer is speaking about are theirs. I guess I try and hear them and listen to them and help them with my recovery journey in, in that sense. And I know I can do this because I'm well into my recovery. And if I ever feel as if I might be moving towards being unwell, I'm able to acknowledge that and implement my strategy straight away. Because, you know, I want to be in a position to help people, but if I'm not in a good place myself, I'm not going to be able to help them. Again, it's just acknowledging the fact that that the consumer's experiences are their, uh, their experiences. And I've been through my recovery journey and I'm there to support them, but it is important to look after myself. And the more I recognize the fact that, you know, I can be vulnerable, the more aware of it I am and, you know, the safeguards can come in place. So it's actually recognizing your own vulnerability and not hiding from it, but embracing it as part of your work and part of how you look after yourself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, without self-engrossing and self-boasting, I think it takes real strength sometimes to recognise when you are vulnerable and to say, look, I'm in a bad position now. Can someone please help me? Because it takes a, it can be a bit of a hit on the pride sometimes. In recognising that fact, I, I want to go back and say, yeah, it, it, is, it does take great strength to admit that you're vulnerable. And I imagine right now there's a lot of people that are really feeling pretty vulnerable. The lockdown in Sydney is not easy for us to get through, particularly, um, I guess, you know, maybe third time around for some parts of Sydney. Um, So for anybody out there that is, you know, struggling right now with their uh, mental health, what would be your, you know, main advice to them, I suppose? I've actually had a bit of time thinking on this one because I know for a fact during the first week of our recent lockdown, I really struggled. But ultimately, I come back to things I've been told in the past and that I know are true um, in terms of looking after my own mental health. And that's really just be kind to yourself. And going back to what I said before, you know, it's hard, but it's okay not to be okay. 
and realizing that when you are struggling, it's important to reach out um, and important to ask for help. Um, so for our team in general, we try and stay as connected as possible. So in the morning, we'll have a morning huddle, a hello huddle for 15 minutes, just checking how we're going. At around lunchtime, we'll have 30 minutes of no work-related stuff, just to sort of try and keep that human connection going. And then at the end, we'll have a sign-off day and then talk about how our day's been, and then we'll do it all, do it all again uh, the next day. I guess the advice I would give to people that are struggling, it, it's just hold on to that hope that we will get through this and be kind to yourself and seek help when you need help. There's no shame in it. I love what you were saying about what your team does with 30 minutes in the middle of the day where you're not allowed to talk about work and do work. I think that's so important, especially when we're working from home. Like I know for me, the temptation is to log on earlier, to work through lunch, to log off later, to be checking the email and to be checking the phone more without those routines of leaving the office and <clears throat> going to the office. And yeah, it, it and especially with like all of the news and, and the cases growing at the moment, it, it can be um, confronting and overwhelming. And, um, you know, for me, it's really important to keep those routines in place that take me away from work and away from social media and, and the news and back towards, you know, other parts of life that are more important, you know, time with my family and time reading a book and time enjoying the outdoors and looking after my spiritual health, you know, those other things that are more important and more helpful than always being switched on to everything that's happening online or at work. Yeah, definitely. I mean, COVID has definitely affected people's mental health through so many avenues and just even the simple disruption of your morning routine, your work routine, you know, it can really, really hurt sometimes. I was having a joke around like the idea of working from home. It's pretty cool because you can just stay in your pajamas and you're pretty happy with it. But I found even like simply staying in my pajamas all day, that makes me feel like crap by the end of it. And just having that routine of, you know, getting up, having a shower, getting changed, having breakfast, that can completely go out the window knowing that you don't have to leave the house. So, yeah, I can definitely understand on how people working from home can feel and even people that, you know, are going out into the community seeing all the new COVID numbers as well. That can be a bit stressful as well. Also, it's great to know that there is a lot of other professional support that is available as well, you know, if you do need it and that that hasn't stopped with COVID-19. Humans are very innovative and we can adapt very quickly if we put our minds to it. Lifeline has seen like a 30% increase in phone calls during COVID. And, you know, while it's sad to hear that, it's also really encouraging to hear that people are willing to reach out and call that number. It is difficult because me personally, face-to-face -face interaction, there's no replacement for it. So, you know, the next best thing that I've got is screen to screen and that's okay as well. The only problem with that is that it relies on the strength of the internet connection. We can always find ways of connecting and we just have to get used to the fact that it's not the same. Even just that simple human contact as well, that's such a big miss. So I can really understand and, you know, sympathize for people that have been isolated at home. Right at the start of this chat, you mentioned some of the programs that your team is working on at the moment. Um, it's really exciting to hear that there's changes happening in our suicide prevention space within Western Sydney. 
You mentioned Safe Haven and Spot. Could you tell us a little bit more about both of those projects? Safe Haven and Spot, they're meant to be genuine alternatives to people presenting to the ED with suicide ideation or going through a suicide crisis. So they're designed to support consumers in a crisis, in short. All the services have been co-designed by people with lived experience to help inform our best practices. So the alternatives to emergency department, the safe haven, that's a physical site and it's going to be a drop-in centre down in Westmead. So that will be run by two peer workers and essentially it is what I said, a drop-in centre. So for people that are experiencing suicide crisis or have that ideation or feel unsafe, they can come and speak to one of our peer workers, have a chat and really just essentially ask for help and have that conversation with someone that's not clinical and not going to be coming from it from a medical perspective. And then the suicide prevention outreach team is a mobile team, and there'll be two teams, I believe in saying, one peer worker and one clinician on each team. And the premise is that we'll get a phone call, we'll get a referral, the SPOT team will go out to their home and visit them and then have a chat there. And if they need to make an assessment, there's a clinician there. But if they just want to have a chat, and really just sort of try and de-escalate and feel that little bit safer, there's the peer worker there. And the idea is that they work in tandem really just to try and help the consumer out as much as possible. And I'm aware of another program that started up, I think it was last year in our district, uh, where we've got a couple of, you know, experts that are helping the police as well, and that they go along with Blacktown Police when they're responding to a mental health call. And it means that you don't just have police responding to the call. You know, you've got somebody that um, has really excellent understanding of mental health and of what people need during a crisis to be there to support them as well. So, you know, between those three initiatives, to me, it sounds like a lot of really encouraging work is going on in improving our understanding and our response to people in a crisis. Speaking from your own experience, though, do you think, you know, these sort of things uh, would have made a difference to you when you were younger? Uh, when I was going through my stuff, a lot of these services didn't exist. It's really only recently in the last decade that it's really started to sort of become more prominent and we've started to change how we think and how we act. And I know for a fact that if I just had more people that were willing to listen to me and not label me with a, de a diagnosis or trying to find the best way of saying it, but I guess in many ways just diagnose me and treat the illness, not treat the person, I would have been far better for it. And that's where I'm so fortunate in the sense that I found a really good psychiatrist and my friends and family never viewed me or reduced me down to my illness. They always treated me for who I am as a person. And I'm very lucky with that as well, but I'm also very well aware that people have not had that same experience as I have. And that was evident in the co-design. So I think these programs coming through are a great way of shifting our perspective and attitude towards a more positive culture towards mental health and you know how we view suicide and suicide ideation um, and change it for the better in the sense that we're not looking at it from a confronting point of view, but as someone that's in trouble and needs help and that's no different from someone that you know is suffering from cancer or, you know, cardiovascular issues. So it's ultimately just changing our perspective to this holistic approach. And it's definitely something that I'm 100% behind. Um, and hopefully we can see it through and really achieve those numbers that we were talking about. And it's awesome to hear that you and people like you who actually 
have this experience and know what it's like, you're involved in that process of designing these services to make sure that they actually meet people's needs. That's really encouraging to hear. Uh, I know I already said we're going to wrap up, but one thing you touched on then I thought would be worth mentioning. Um, obviously, we're always encouraging people to reach out if they need help, but let's put it the other way. What if you notice that somebody looks like they need help? You know, somebody that you care about just doesn't see themselves and, and you're worried about them. What can you do to help somebody else when you think they might need a hand? That can be quite a daunting thing um, to come across, seeing that someone needs help and not knowing if you're going to say the right thing or if you're going to make things worse or you're going to, you know, offend them in some way. My point of view is you'd always much rather risk offending someone than not saying something and then losing that person. For me, the advice would be if you see someone that's suffering as well, make a plan, go to Are You OK, uh, the Are You OK website. They have wonderful resources that are designed to help guide you through that conversation and really just approach that from a position of care and concern and offer as much support as possible. And if the person isn't willing to speak, then, then that's fine. But just make sure that they know that you are there and try again later. But ultimately, the way that we get through this rough period is by looking after each other and looking out for each other. And if you do see someone that is struggling, I highly encourage you to speak to that person and express your concern and show your love and support. Absolutely. And if people want to know more about that, go to the RUAK website or check out our previous episode of this podcast, Suicide Prevention with Rowena Saheb. Uh, it's a great resource for more on that topic. Mitch, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for the work that you do and for sharing your experience with us on the podcast today. Uh, you're welcome, Harrison. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, and everyone, please stay safe. And if you need help, reach out. Great words. Thanks, Mitch. Thank you, Mitch, for that very honest and hope-filled interview. If that discussion raised any issues for you listening, please call Lifeline on 13 11 14. One thing Mitch and I discussed in that interview is how we're looking after our own mental well-being through lockdown. To explore that topic further, I'm joined now by Professor Vlasios Brakoulias, better known as Bill. Bill is the Executive Director of Mental Health Services in Western Sydney Local Health District and a psychiatrist who specialises in obsessive compulsive disorders. Bill, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast again. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, Harrison. Last time we spoke on the podcast, lockdowns and COVID-19 were a pretty new phenomenon and, you know, maybe a little bit exciting amongst all of the day-to-day uh, -day drudgery of being stuck in our homes. Can you tell us how it might be feeling a little bit different for people this time around about a year later? I think um, last time we certainly, we talked about the fight or flight response. Everyone's adrenaline was up. Um, there was panic buying, the people running out of toilet paper, and uh, the, the supermarkets were running out of toilet paper. Um, and certainly people were, you know, gearing up to it, preparing themselves, um, not knowing what, what would happen. Um, this time round, there's a, oh, not again feeling, it seems, um, in that um, yeah, people are a bit over it, a bit tired. Um, and lacking that energy, that drive to to really take it seriously, and I think that's that's been an issue um, uh, so far. 
in terms of uh, people not really um, obeying the, the restrictions and the, and the new rules. So from a psychological perspective, do you think that it's a case of people are not taking it as seriously and it's just not as important to them anymore? Or do you think that maybe people are just fed up and they're ready for something new? Yeah, so there's there's lots of um, discussions as to, you know, how do you best explain this? Um, but one popular theory is the theory of pandemic fatigue uh, in that, um, you know, again, you, you've used your, all your adrenaline um, to, to change your life, to, to be prepared for, you know, a disastrous consequence. Um, and then uh, people are now sort of a, a bit, bit exhausted, really. Um, they've been working hard. They haven't been able to go out and socialise and to do their normal, you know, their normal recreational activities. They've basically been on the, on the treadmill. Um, and, you know, when you, you're working constantly, not having those outlets, or those normal recreational pursuits, um, you can get some degree of burnout. Uh, and so you've got, you've got people that are complaining more, whinging more, irritable, angry, more somatic complaints, so headaches, um, nausea, um, stomach aches, back aches, um, all possibly related to the fact that they're just exhausted um, and they haven't been able to pursue those more pleasurable activities um, that give them meaning in life. Um, and, you know, really people have just been uh, sort of working monotonously, unfortunately. So for the average person who's listening to this now and thinking, yes, <laughs> that's me right now, I'm feeling that lethargy, what can we actually do about it? What, how can we combat that fatigue? So we need to ensure that we're not on the treadmill, so to speak, all the time. We need to ensure that we do take a break from these um, video conferences, from you know, the constant behind the screen time, sending emails, etc., and structure our days I think it's very important that we um, include pleasurable activities within our daily structure and that we also include uh, meaningful connections. So we include time to connect with our family, with our friends, with our loved ones, because that gives us a sense of reality. Uh, without those connections, we, go, we just get drifted into our own world and we lose our sense of reality. We shouldn't forget that everyone is in the same boat. Um, it's very easy to think, oh, it's just me, you know, I'm, you know, exhausted, etc. Um, it's it's not just you, everyone, the whole community is like this. Uh, hence the importance of these types of talks um, and the importance to test your reality by talking to other people. And what can you do when those important things start to feel like a chore as well? when you're just lacking the motivation to go out for a walk or lacking the motivation to, to pick up the phone and call a friend? Well, the first step is just acknowledging that, yeah, acknowledging that, gee, I feel exhausted. Um, and then thinking about, you know, what, what could be causing that? And often, you know, people would then realise, well, it must be because I've been in my room all day, I'm behind the computer all day. Um, once you come to that realisation, there's usually that motivation to, you know, to change that um, or to talk to someone who will then also motivate you by giving a sense of reality. 
Um, now, obviously, you know, we there are disorders. Um, being a psychiatrist, I'm well aware that there are disorders such as depression, which do affect people. So we're talking more more general terms about about people who, you know, are feeling lethargic and um, or burnt burnt out. Um, but there are also um, significant disorders such as major depression, uh, which we should be mindful of. So if someone does have this, this sort of pervasive low mood and, and lack of energy, lack of motivation, um, then they should consider again calling someone, uh, asking for help, again assessing whether those symptoms are severe enough to warrant more professional um, help rather than the general measures that we've been talking about. And of course, we know the message and the, the big encouragement right now is for everybody to stay home unless it's absolutely essential to go out. So if someone's really feeling that way, like, um, you know, this isn't just lethargy, you know, I might need some extra help here. How can somebody from the safety of their own home access mental health care support? So the first step should be talking to your GP. And I know a lot of GPs have, you know, stop seeing people in person, um, but most GPs are still seeing their patients via the telephone and many are seeing patients via video, audiovisual means uh, such as the one we're doing now. Um, so I think you can get help that way. Um, if you don't have a GP that you can trust, uh, etc., there are a number of helplines that you can call. Um, so there are helplines such as Beyond Blue, the Lifeline, and even our mental health uh, helpline, the 1800 number that's statewide that people can call. Um, and so there's always help available, and that's something that we need to emphasise. Uh, and for us health workers, um, healthcare workers, we've also produced a little um, resource, a little card that's got many helpful numbers for people that may be struggling at the moment. And that card is called, it's okay to ask for help, <laughs> um, which is really the key message. Um, if you're not feeling right, don't just you know stick with it, ask for help sooner rather than later. Support is always available, whether it's a friend or a family member, or whether you need you know a little bit more professional help as well. All of those things are still here through lockdown, even if it's, you know, a little bit more inconvenient or, or different to access in some way. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking to you again. Thank you so much for your time and for your insight, Professor Vlasios Prokulius. Thank you very much, Harrison. Thank you, Bill, for your invaluable insights and tips. As Bill mentioned, if you want to find out more about the help available in Western Sydney, call the Mental Health Access Line anytime on 1800 011 511. Thank you for listening to a special lockdown edition of Western Sydney Health Check. Stay home, stay safe, get tested for COVID if you have any symptoms and get vaccinated as soon as you can. Thanks for listening to Western Sydney Health Check. This podcast is brought to you by the Corporate Communications team at Western Sydney Local Health District. Our program today was produced and edited by Carlos Furtado and Tim Dunlop. Harrison Vesey and Sia Anthopoulos are your hosts, and I'm Taylor Massingham. Find us at thepulse.org.au, Western Sydney Health on Facebook and Twitter, and Humans of the Hospital on Instagram. If you have any feedback or program ideas, email us via the address in the show notes.